0: Oh, hey, Jesus Christ, it caught me by surprise it went so fast. What's up, everybody? My name is Luke Thomas. Uh, It is Wednesday, July 19th, and this is the promotional malpractice live chat here on MMAfighting.com. I am the host of this podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Today on the podcast, we'll get to, of course, whatever you want to talk about. This is really your podcast in terms of all the content, Um, and uh, I'm assuming you're going to want to talk about UFC Long Island. Probably a little bit of that May Mac World Tour. Um, maybe some of the UFC Glasgow stuff that happened last weekend. Things like that. Best place, of course, to get your comments in and questions in is going to be on MMAfighting.com where this window is embedded. Um, so there we go. Hope you're doing well on this Wednesday here in the nation's capital of Los Estados Unidos. Uh, and I'm happy to be here. Had an incredible night of sleep last night. You never hear me say that, man. It was unbelievable. So uh, I am. I feel great. <laughs> it's ama- It's amazing what a good night, of, like a really good night of sleep, will do for you. I. Uh, I feel good. So. Hopefully, I'm not too grumpy. Most days, I get on here and I feel terrible. Not today, friends. Not today. Okay. First question is kind of weird. Uh, okay, I'm going to save some time and answer a few questions for Luke right off the bat. All right. Um, make sure they didn't mess with my audio. There is no news to report about the Diaz brothers, CM Punk and Carlos Condit. Correct. Bellator has had some good signings, but no, the promotion isn't anywhere close to catching up with the UFC. Also correct. The outcome of Weidman Gaslam is tough to call and Weidman really should have taken a tuna fight. Also correct. If what we know of the known universe is true, Connor will use the spinning back fist to knock out Floyd in the second round. Ah, that one, not so much. That's not so much. And then lastly, someone adds, today is Wednesday, July 29, 2017. Comments that turn green get priority, but not exclusivity. Well done, friends. Well done. You are off to an excellent start. I, uh, I apologize if there's any repeat content. I can merely be the subject of that which you present to me. And if that which you present to me is repetitive, unfortunately, so will I be. Uh, someone asks. You often ask fans to approach you. I don't know if I asked them to approach. I said just don't be shy if you want to say hi. But not to be weird if they see you. What is the weirdest interaction you've had with a fan who has seen you in public? Um, nothing too weird. First of all, just about I mean, let's be clear about this: 90% of you guys are. Like very friendly and nice no even more than that 95 95 percent are uh it's just it's great like everyone's very friendly and they just want to say hi and maybe they ask a question or two or just you know something um it's uh, mundane but mundane in a good way like the uh, ordinary interaction with people every once in a while though, you get somebody who gets a close talker right up in your face uh i've been followed a couple of times it's been a little weird um uh, and I can say, I know I've been followed because I would like walk random weird patterns and they were like right behind me, maybe, maybe 10 or 20 steps behind me. It was bizarre. Um, you know, and then some people who just have, yeah, I mean, that, that's basically it, right? People who just like, will chat your ear off like nonstop and you can't go and do anything or you get followed, but that's pretty rare. And that's pre- and I don't think it's like, obviously anything that's got to do with me. I think it's just, that's just who those people are. So. Um, so the reason why I welcome it is because as I mentioned, the overwhelming majority of interactions are normal, fine, great thumbs up. I enjoy them and, uh, and, uh, they're fine. Uh, yeah, that's are good, I've yet to have anybody come up and be like rude or mean or even, you know, con- confrontational in any way. Like everyone has been, I've not had one person be confrontational, not one. So, uh, I have very little to complain about. Uh, that's it, it's good. All right, Beachy and Alvarez, new coaches on the Ultimate Fighter. Okay, this feels like the first MMA question. You announced that the UFC had pushed forward with the next season of Ultimate Fighter using Justin Gaethje and out of versus coaches. Well, I'd asked Dana. Dana was coming along the line. It was really quite fortuitous. Um, the way it worked was if at Mayweather McGregor, there's my sticker, right? You're like my sticker? El Dia. Well, Dia De Los Deadlifts, get it? So the way it worked was like this. It was like an L. Yes? It was a short line and then a long line. And the short line started here and worked its way up and then went all the way around here. And At the very end was like fight media. At the very beginning was like New York Times or whoever. And then it got slightly less relevant the way it went along, or at least you know relevant to the fight promoters. And so in front of me was Sports Illustrated, but it was Maggie Gray. Maggie Gray, I mean, she's a fine reporter, but she's not going to ask the questions that you and I care about. And then after that it was just all it was all like nfl network cbs sports but they didn't even show up <laughs> so the only people in front of me were like literally fox business um tmz and inside edition and so all of their questions were about what you can imagine their audiences cared about data comes up to me i'm basically the first person in real fight media to have audience with them so i asked them a couple of questions i think i asked him what his favorite floyd Mayweather fight was and and, uh, I think he said the Corrales fight, I have to go back and check, but then I was just like, screw it. He's right here. So Dana, is it true? Gaethje and El- Alvarez are the next coaches on to the fighter. He's like, yes, it's a hundred percent true. confirmed." And then he's like, we shot the first episode already. And I was like, sweet. Um, cause they had put the majority of the fight media a little bit further down. I was there with Sirius XM and I guess they, they just did us a solid and put us a little bit closer up. So, uh, I was, I was pumped for that. Um, so I just got an audience with him. So I didn't announce it. He just gave it to me only because of the fortuitous way in which I was arranged relative to the rest of the fight media. It was just absolute dumb luck. Um, so just to clarify how, how that went down. And then you say this rivalry seems thrown together at best. Is the UFC desperate at this point to manufacture any type of rivalry to bring viewers in viewers to a declining show well that's definitely true about the you know trying to bring you know viewers to a declining show um, so it says i'm bothered that the ufc is trying to use gaethje's newfound star power to try to bring in viewers can this hurt his rise to potential stardom ordinarily i would agree ordinarily i would absolutely agree with this line of thinking i think this one's a little bit different the fact that they've already shot the first season or um the first episode And that he will compete likely at some time in December, I really don't have much of an issue with that. That's something that could have happened ordinarily according to their calendar anyway, number one. Number two, the guy did have a freaking war with Michael Johnson and hasn't had nothing but wars with Firmino and Palomino. You know, giving him a little bit of space between, not a tremendous amount, less than six months, but giving him a little bit of space between fights I I think is okay. You know, would I prefer him to go in the Ultimate Fighter? No, of course not. I mean, it seems like an epic waste of time in that sense. But it's not like they're going to schedule shooting to begin in, you know, September, October, and you won't get them for, you know, sometime in the new year. That would be quite a disaster. That would be quite a disaster, but that's not what they're doing, so I don't really have a whole lot to complain about. They got right to it, and I think if they're going to do that, not the end of the world. Um, Not my preferred option, but not so bad that you can really cry too, too much. About the Ultimate Fighter, uh, they need to figure out something here, and I'm I, I, I'm gonna I'm guessing I'm guessing I try not to look too much. I haven't seen hardly any of these. I'm gonna guess that there's probably some questions about Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series somewhere in here. Um, another one was last night. It was a it, I, I would call it a moderately successful effort. You guys know I'm really uh, in theory I'm really high on it, but now we're getting to a very strange territory where. Look, I think over time, the Dana White Tuesday night contender series will hit its groove. But, and and I realize they're trying to contain costs by putting it inside the tough gym. This is property they already own. They don't have to go rent something. They don't have to sell tickets. You know, there's a lot they don't have to do because it's all already, you know, hand in glove turnkey. Um, But it just feels very, it doesn't, there's something about having the ultimate fighter and then fights in the tough house or the tough gym and then just putting the, Tuesday Night Contender Series in there as well. And I I actually asked him this. I was like, don't you feel it's a little derivative? And he was like, no, I like it because it's hot as hell. The families are there, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, bringing the families there, that's something that they borrowed from the Ultimate Fighter. Like, there's just a lot of trimmings where the two are kind of bleeding into each other a little bit. And I feel like they should be a little bit more distinct. So that's one problem. Like, I feel like the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series has promise because live fights on Fight Pass. It's only two hours. You're in, you're out, you're done. It's it's a blessing in that in that regard. Um, so I really really like that portion of it, but I don't like how it feels so much like the Ultimate Fighter in certain just optical ways. I, I really really wish they would you know make an effort to make it look a lot different, even down to letting guys have their own um, sponsors or having a different color mat. I mean, go back to the blue mat of the WEC. I don't know, just something, some kind of some kind of way to really mark it up because it just looks like they're like, all right, are we done shooting The Ultimate Fighter for the day? Okay, let's let's start shooting the Tuesday Night Contender Series. It just feels like there's no real set change, and I I don't really like that so much personally. And as with Ultimate Fighter, I really don't know how many more of these they're going to do. You know, I've been saying that the show has been done for a while, and it just continues to chug along. There are people who watch it on on dvr and it does good numbers on dvr and dvr it can do upwards of half a million per episodes i mean that's not a show you cancel if you're fox sports one it's just not i can't believe that there are that many people who want to watch it but there are there are there just are the numbers are there so certainly it has declined to almost 10 of what it got at its high water mark you know it's not even close to what it used to be it's almost a a bothersome distraction more than it is a helpful tool but if you're the ufc and you can get half a million viewers on your product for you know however many weeks each season, and you can do this for 26, 27, 28, 29, 30 seasons, um, you keep doing it. The math is there. You just keep doing it. So I don't know what else to say about it, unfortunately. It, 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 it feels uh, like we have to continue paying this tax, but we do because enough of us are watching to make it worth the UFC's while. They would stop if it wasn't worth their while, but it is. So I hate that fact, but it's a fact. Uh, In addition, don't you – do you think it was a mistake to not book the Poirier versus Alvarez rematch considering how the first fight ended? You know, look, I would have preferred that fight to have some resolution. I think a lot of fight fans feel that way, that they didn't quite – uh-oh, something up. Oh, um, I'll tell you this in just a second. Um. I mean, look, obviously I would have preferred to have that. I know Dustin Poirier wanted that. You know, when I tweeted out that Dana White had told me that, he tweeted out like, ah, you know. Um, but if you're Eddie Alvarez, it's good, because you're probably going to get some additional TV money. If you're Justin Gaethje, it's good, because you're going to get additional TV money. Again, time to heal. Eddie needs some time to heal. And here's the truth. there, It would have been nice to get some resolution about that fight, because that was an important one that we really needed solved. But... In the end, could you really say that Alvarez versus Gaethje is not a good fight? That's a hard. That's a hard argument to make. Um, uh, I guess in the end, we'll have to wait and see. Perhaps it ends up being terrible, but forced to make a bet, I would bet on it being good or at least action-packed for however long it lasts. So, um, you know, that's not always a reason to do something, but it is kind of a silver lining, if not a, if not a. Um, Not a very strong argument for why they have to make the choices they made and trying to get another season, uh, new season's coaches. Moreover, Eddie, former Bellator champion, um, you know, all time great lightweight, former lightweight champion. If Justin Gaethje comes in there and dusts him, you know, I, I, I thought, and I've talked about this before, we always talk about Bellator's free agent signings and Gagard Busasi and Ryan Bader and Phil Davis. These are major, major signings. But we never really give a lot of credit. We give some credit, but not really all that much to the UFC signing Justin Gaethje. And that turned out to be, man, what a match made in heaven that was, huh? And in the end, um, in the end, I think if he can go out there and beat someone like Alvarez, and he can do so very convincingly, and it's a good time to get Alvarez. You know, he's a little bit closer I won't say it's a retirement, but he's a little bit longer in the tooth than most most folks realize and age independent. He's got a lot of miles on him. You know, he's, he's, this guy has been through a lot in his career. You know, those Michael Chandler wars were not nothing. And, um, if Gagey can go out there and dust him, man, you could really do a lot with him. That's a really big fight for Justin Gagey. That's a huge, huge moment. You're fighting the former, you're having a World Series of Fighting Guy fight the former Bellator and UFC champ. Man, you don't get a lot of opportunities to do something like that. That is a big deal. So um for a guy who had a tremendous showing against Michael Johnson, a real coming out moment, if you can keep him in rotation relatively quickly, he is gonna fight again ostensibly in 2017, you keep that ball rolling, you put him on an ultimate fighter for whatever that's worth. Um, and he goes there and gets a big fight against a guy who's got a bit of a name, certainly uh, reputationally about as good as they come. And if he can beat him, man, he's going to be on a rocket to the moon. Plus I doubt he's going to beat him, you know, uh, with lay and pray, (laughs) you know, if Gaethje wins, it's going to be another, you know, blood and guts, to sit, uh finish like they all are so uh so there's a lot to like there it's it, it there's just, it leaves a lot of things unresolved and just forces us to move away and pivot and I don't think we like that nor should we but I can understand why they did it given what their obligations are given what their needs are given what their wants are it is unfortunately understandable is how I would put that unfortunately understandable Okay, let's see here. I mean, and always have to remember this. If they had never done Gaethje Alvarez, it's two more guys they got to pull out of rotation, you know? And you might say, well, I can find two other ones, but maybe that wouldn't be pleasing to If you're the UFC, what are you supposed to do? You know, I know the fans have different interests, but if you're the UFC, and I don't even want to speak for them in that way, but just speaking realistically, you know, I... I don't want them to be in the ultimate fighter. I want them to fight, but can I really complain about a hugely important fight for a guy like Justin Gaethje, who appears to be ready to make a huge splash in the UFC and he's not going to be out that long. And maybe for as long as he's out, that's a good thing. I can't really complain all that much. Bellator pay-per-view buys. Luke, have you heard anything about the Bellator pay-per-view buy rate, man? I haven't looked into this at all, but I will. I'm going to make a note of this somewhere. The general feeling is that if it was a if it was good, we would have heard it by now. Maybe, maybe. How many buys do you think it would have gotten if it were a UFC pay-per-view? Man, that's hard to say. How would the UFC have promoted Fedor? Somewhere between 300 and 500, probably closer to 300, though. Not not that many. I know some folks were like, "This this pay per view is going to get four hundred thousand buys." I was like, "This pay per view might get two hundred thousand buys." Now, if this thing gets two hundred thousand buys, I would consider that a home run, a massive home run. And I don't I don't know that it did. I have heard people say that if they will only buy UFC pay per view regardless of the fighters involved, probably, which seems stupid. I guess there are MMA fans out there and there are UFC fans to an extent. How much do you think those three letters are worth? Are they worth more than the rest of the promotion put together? I don't know. Well, they used to be worth a lot more, and then they used to be worth a lot more. It used to be the case that if you just saw those three letters, you knew automatic buy, and then they began to do so many shows that they watered down the value of what it meant to have those three letters on the broadcast um, in terms of pay-per-view buys. There was this big debate about oversaturation, about whether it was ultimately crippling. And the truth about oversaturation was that it was not crippling, but that it did cause damage. One of the damages that it caused was that you had so many shows that this one-time reliable indicator of quality um, was significantly eroded. And that was particularly true in the pay-per-view space. Now, it does still have a lot of value, obviously, right? People know what it means, and they know that it's at least some kind of identifier of quality, although it just varies wildly. Uh, more than it used to. Um, look, I think the idea is this. It certainly would be more beneficial to have those three letters on your pay per view than it would not be. You're up against a lot um, if you don't have it. But I think there's probably also some belief that there's a lot of casual fans who, in an age where it means a lot less to have those three letters on your broadcast than it once did. And if you can get people whose glory days were in, the promotion with those three letters that there's a casual fan base who will still react to that they will still have this, you know, romantic idea of what it used to be to be a fight fan to watch those kinds of guys, you know, um, so it, it ultimately would be a boost but would not be a limiting factor. You know, again, you can ask the question how many pay-per-view buys would it be if they were on there, it would be more but you know, would it be double more? I don't know. I don't know about that. I, I find that a little hard to believe. So um so in the end, in the end, if you can get a casual audience to recognize a casually or someone visual, someone visible among casual audiences, then you don't necessarily need to have the three letters, however, they would provide a boost. I think that's sort of the way you would want to look at it. Um, are they worth more than the rest of the promotion put together? No. Maybe maybe once upon a time, it really meant a lot to have them on there, but not anymore. I mean, McGregor doesn't need the UFC at all, for example. Now, he's, of course, an obvious outlier. But even Rousey pre pre Coheia fight didn't need him. You know, she could have done a tremendous amount without him as well. So um, they are not worth more than the rest of the promotion put together. Not Not even close not even close but they are valuable it's still valuable it matters to have that on your pay-per-view it just that 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 value has been dramatically eroded someone says to be fair the ufc never releases their pay-per-view numbers either bloggers will guess and sometimes dana will be dana and exaggerate It's true, they don't release them. People have always been asking, hey, when are those numbers coming out? It's not like TV ratings. It's a proprietary amount of, it's a proprietary number. So you have to have someone within the organization willing to tell you that. Or if someone works for those various MSOs, who's willing to tell you that? That's how you get that number. And now those sources are hard to come by. Uh, hey, Luke, I listened to the interview you have done with David Scott, which was great. Thank you very much. David Scott, for folks who may not know, is the reporter for HBO's Real Sports on the Ramzam Kadyrov story that aired last night. It made me curious about a few things. He said that he is still worried for himself when he's already in America because of the long reach that Kadyrov has. Wouldn't you be? So is that more of a paranoid fear or Kadirov can legit- legitimately make something happen to a journalist from America when he or she goes on and harshly criticizes him for every terrible thing he has done. Well, he has reached all the way into, what, Southeast Asia to exact revenge on um, critics he didn't like. So, you know, I'm not sure why. I, mean, I, don't, I don't suspect anything will happen, but, you know, if you sat down and had audience with him and asked him tough questions and this report came out, would you be pleased? I mean, I don't know that it's paranoia. I think it seems more like a rational... He wasn't like deeply afraid but he didn't say he was not not afraid and i did notice how cautious he was in describing kadirov especially in the beginning of the interview well that's a little bit different i feel like he said he used the, he used the word impressed about kadirov and i think that's actually a pretty good i thought it was one of the smarter points he made in my interview with him when he said impressed he didn't necessarily think he had his glowing appreciation for him but what he did say was that we have this caricature of kadyrov as something of a um you know a, we, we sort of call him a military dictator and which which is true but that one of the key insights about kadyrov that gets lost is that you know chechnya was essentially leveled to the ground um from years of uh, uh, civil strife and war and what he has done, at least insofar as Grozny is concerned, the capital city is, yes, a, a lot of it he has built um, as a way, of, you know, he's, re, he's rebuilt a lot of it, you know, with these palaces and so forth as a me- measure of self-adulation, but, but that one of the things the average Chechen, at least in Grozny, might tell you is that, all right, you know, you don't have a whole lot of press freedoms, but um, one of the benefits of maybe having a military dictatorship is that the streets are pretty safe and their roads are rebuilt, and there are ways to have a relatively normal life, especially, you know, compared to what it may have been 20 or 30 years ago. So, um, he, he credited Kadirov. We often make this caricature of him as this, you know, maybe just childish, um, almost impish character in a way. And, and maybe there is some. Values of that, but what he wanted to know was you it would be incorrect. It, it, you would be missing part of the Kadyrov's story if you didn't account for why some Chechens might have now we don't know in totality because there's not a lot of you know dissent going on, but it, it's just impossible to ignore the literal infrastructural rebuilding that has happened under his watch. He has made it a significantly more livable place to be. You know, those certain freedoms being abridged um, means the, the the project is far from done. But that you know, it's one thing to live in rubble; it's another one to live with street signs and open shops and the ability to walk your kid to school. And those are real things. And so uh, he he made a point to note that, and I thought that was a pretty fair observation. Um, doesn't mean you can't find a measure to criticize Kadyrov or all some of the other things he doesn't like, but. Don't have this impression of him as not merely somebody who has, you know, crushed dissent and then can't get anything done, right? One of the major problems, there's a book called, um, there's a really, really good book, a really good book called After Jihad, and it's written by Noah Feldman. Uh, Now, at the time he wrote that, this was not the case. He is now a professor at Harvard Law School. I think he uh, was a Supreme Court clerk for a while and he wrote this book and he made this one argument to me that really sort of stuck with me for a very long time and he was talking about the 1979 revolution in iran and what he said was there is no way to conclude that the shah was not corrupt i mean he was obviously a deeply deeply corrupt person and that was a deeply corrupt regime and Part of that uh, Islamic overthrow of that government is um, a natural consequence of that. However, one of the major problems that the mullahs never really accounted for was when, um, when they overthrew him, and then they now they're in charge of governing. You know, it, it, it. For example, the Shah, as corrupt as he was, he at least had civil engineers in charge of the water system in Tehran right people who actually had advanced degrees and core competencies in municipal management um, and when the mullahs took over they had a major learning curve so there was this uh, decline in quality of life as a consequence because they were simply incompetent about how to run a government how to run a city how to run a, a state and to bring that back to kadyrov um whatever else may be his problems and they are many they are many he has not failed on that account. In fact, on that account, he has soared. All right. Over underrated. Gunnar Nelson. Underrated. Eye pokes as a strategy. <laughs> underrated. Lawler Cerrone. I think a little overrated. Ease of Jones's win over DC. Ooh. Overrated. I mean, maybe he goes there and blows the doors off of him. I guess we'll see. Musasi's recent recent win streak, underrated. Yuel Romero Bisping feud. It's probably overrated because the fight won't happen, but it's a great feud. Go back to the Gunnar Nelson thing. I mentioned on my Monday morning analyst that I believed that the iPoke thing was real, but I didn't see I didn't see it as necessarily this big factor and then after that I watched some more of the tape that people had made and it was pretty clear to me that that was a big problem. I feel I feel very bad for Gunnar Nelson. I think that in retrospect he's got a real cause. I actually emailed Mark Ratner prior to this chat to ask him what might happen and they said they he said that the UFC was in contact with his people because um, I didn't know exactly because it was an event that happened in Scotland. I didn't know exactly what um, legal recourse he had to challenge a referee who didn't see an eye poke. What it, what happens there? So, um, so he said he's in contact. The UFC's in contact with Gunner's people. I guess we'll see what happens. Just pay attention to that. But I didn't give that enough. I admittedly I did not give that enough uh, weight. I didn't deny it, but I didn't realize just how bad it was. It's bad. It was bad. And I don't really think that's Ponzinibbio did it on purpose. But I do think he was a little bit careless. And here's the problem. You know, I got to be careful how I watch these fights. Again, man, your angle on these fights will matter a lot. I have a TV. Yes, it's in my living room um it's a fairly large one it's 56 inches yeah and i normally sit reasonably close to it this time i was sitting in one of my um uh, like kitchen table chairs and i brought my feet up on my couch but i'm now maybe five feet even further back from how i normally watch it from that distance i didn't see anything and so i judged foolishly which i'll never do again i judged foolishly my responses about well i'm sure the poke thing kind of is real but you know how real because he was landing good punches after that and then now, when I saw those, you realize it was much, much worse. The fact that he was landing punches was kind of amazing, in retrospect. So, um, if they do a do-over, I would be totally okay with that. I think he probably has earned it, and I feel very, very bad for Gunnar Nelson because that's, you know, he didn't just lose; you got viciously KO'd, and um, so you you not only have the L on your record, you now have this terrible in you know brain injury that, to some extent, you've probably suffered and. It's all quite unfortunate. It's all quite unfortunate. So I hope I hope something good comes of that for him. And and I do feel bad for Ponza Nibio. You know, what's he supposed to say? Like, yes, of course I won based on eye pokes. He's never gonna say that. And I think expecting him to say that you're waiting for something that's never gonna come. So so don't do that. Uh let's see. gechi as a tough coach. Do you feel at all weird that the guy who has expressed utter disinterest in head trauma? Is going to be training people on tough. No, because the funny part about Justin Gaethje is, he doesn't ask you to fight his style. I don't think he expects anybody to fight his style. Number one, he can wrestle. He uses it mostly for defensive purposes, but he can wrestle, and wrestling can always be some kind of ace in the hole if you're good at it to get out of a bad spot at least temporarily, right? Number two, he—it's just—it's just not correct to think of Gaethje as somebody who's not a tactician. He is. He may have a certain kind of tactic, tactical approach that is that throws caution to the wind, but it's not like he doesn't know a lot of skills and wisdom to impart. I mean, let's see how he coaches. If he tries to get everyone to fight like him, okay, that would be a problem. But I don't think he wants people to do that. I think he wants to fight the way he wants to fight, and I think he can see other people don't fight that way but he has a lot of skills to impart. He knows how to fight in a lot of different ways. He simply chooses to fight in a way that is crazy. Not not exactly the same kind of thing. So um, in the end, let's just see what it looks like. But my guess is he's going to teach people to be better at what they're already good at, not get them to fight like Justin Gaethje. True, false. Daniel Cormier loses to John Jones at UFC 214. He will retire from MMA. If he gets stopped, he might. I'll say false, though. Demi Maia is the livest underdog on the UFC 214 card. Let's see about that. Let's go to bestfightodds.com. Let's see that card. Let's see that puppy, as Jerry O'Connell said. John Jones is minus 255. Cormier plus 235. Demian Maya plus 165. Good Lord. Tanya Avenger at plus 755. <laughs> um, and then these won't tell you necessarily who's the livest dog. Sort of livest dog means like who, who really is sort of which underdog maybe has the best chance to cause an upset. By the odds, it would sort of be maybe him or Volkan Ozdemir, I guess. Yeah, maybe Demian Maya. I don't know. I'd probably put it on. Um yeah, maybe. Him or him or, it's him or cormier. Him or cormier. That's a tough one. Uh, Mighty Mouse. What do you think about Mighty Mouse stepping back from his comments about Dana White and the UFC and now referring to it as a misunderstanding? Do you think they cut a deal behind the scenes? I don't think they've cut a deal yet. I think they're going to cut a deal, right? They're going to sit down together. But look. It's the it's the same thing. Oh, Tim Kennedy, I make more. You can make more as a garbage man than I make as UFC. And then they address something, and everyone's like, "Oh, no, 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 it's not a big deal." And squeaky wheel gets the grease in this in this business, man. You complain and you whine and you have to deal with being bashed in public. But ultimately, they don't want malcontents out there. They want to solve these problems. They want. Remember, what do they want? They want to be like, "Hey, do you want to take this fight? Yes. Do you want to take this fight? Yes. Good. Done. Don't get injured. See you in August, or or you know whatever the date is." That's what they want. They want the machine to function and to roll and to roll. They're not going to take fighter pushback lying down. You know, they're not going to just simply accept it and not respond. They'll probably do something. But ultimately, what they want to do is you get your licks in, I'll get my licks in. Okay, now let's solve this. So now what probably happened was they reached out to him and said, okay, what can we do to solve this? Or, you know, let's talk about this. Let's see what we can do. And they're going to they're gonna have a discussion about it. So now he wants to sort of minimize this because now he's heading into a negotiation where I think he, maybe he thinks it's more in his interest to be, you know, he just wanted to send the flag up the pole. He didn't really want to have this demonstration moment, you know. Um, I need a new chair. Buy me a new chair, y'all. Um, I've had this chair since I was in college, so I'm just telling you anything. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's what happened. Let me get your attention with this noise. Now, once I've got it, let's let's come to some reasonable conclusions. That's very, very different than you would see in other sports where, you know, here in my lovely hometown. Now, Kirk Cousins was on the road or on the on the phones yesterday here in the city being like, oh, no, I'll happily play for the Redskins. Yeah, I don't believe that, to be honest. I mean, I guess we'll see. But, you know, there's a lot more distance between. And those guys are employees there's a lot more distance between athlete and organization but in this in this business i always talk about it man if you want to if you want to better understand mma and how people navigate through this and make successful careers or make good deals or you know just find a way to stay relevant you have to think of mma like a small town not a tiny town not a side of the road town but something just outside the suburbs where it's a tight-knit community everyone knows and everyone there is there are neighborhoods they are distinct but everyone kind of has a communal sense and you're going to run into people you're going to see them you're going to have to learn to live around these kinds of people so you got to figure out what kind of exposure you want to have to them you got to figure out what kind of access you want to have to them you got to figure out what kind of things you are willing to do and not do you have to figure out um you know, who's bad side to get on, how to get off of it. You really got to know how to navigate that space and, and manage relationships. That's really what it's about. And so when you begin to think of it, I think in those kinds of terms, I mean, it's it, it, the best way to see this is to go to a fighter hotel on fight, fight week. Like there was really sort of a parent in Dallas because sometimes you don't really exactly, you know, if it's at a casino, you don't really get a full sense of it. But like when they were in Dallas and they were at that Sheraton downtown, you saw the people coming and going and little groups forming and, and how the groups interacted. Some were more, you know, conscious of each other. Some were more favorable. Some were a lot less favorable. And different players all hopping around. It's a small town. It's a little small town. And 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 conceiving of it like that makes understanding how it operates and how you need to operate for your own self um, inside of it. Dominic Cruz. Luke, what is the latest on Dominic Cruz? I have not spoken to him. Do you know if he plans on fighting again soon or is his injury still giving him trouble? His injury is going to give him trouble, I think, for the rest of his career. Also, if he still has an appetite and ability to fight again, do you see him making another go for the 135 belt or moving up to 145? Seriously doubt he moves to 145, but you never know. There are still some great fights in the UFC. I hope we haven't seen the last of him just yet. You have not seen the last of him. I know he's going to fight again, probably a couple more times. But, man, that injury he's got, that plantar fasciitis, it doesn't go away with anything other than rest. That's it. That's the only thing. I, I mean, I'm sure you maybe you can get surgery or something, but um, if you've ever had, I had a mild case of it once. It's terrible. You can hardly put your foot down. And when I interviewed him prior to that Garbrandt fight, he was getting hundreds of Botox shots in his feet um, to mitigate the effects. Botox in his feet. So he could just numb them out so he could work them out. I mean, that's not a solution. That's... That's when you get Tony Romo. gets looks like he got hit, hit hit by a train, and they just shoot him up with cortisol and send him back out there. That's what that is. You know, you're not healed in any real capacity. You're just you can play over it, uh, and that's what he has. And so I don't know what I don't know. I don't know how he's going to deal with that because that is man, that is a serious serious issue. You know, it's not like cancer serious issue, but from a performance standpoint when elite athletic performance is the name of your game and your particular style um, causes or at least you know exacerbates this kind of condition where he's bouncing on his toes and he's putting a lot of weight one way and then a lot of weight the next way, you know, um, and he has to be fleet of foot, it's, it's devastating. It's devastating. It's really, really bad. Poor Dominic Cruz, man. The guy is just, you know, he's accomplished so much, but you wonder what has been unavailable to him given some of the injuries, you know? Joanna's drawing power. It's been quite a while since Joanna has headlined a show June 2015 versus Penne, which of course was on fight pass at the time. How do you, uh, about how much do you think her ability to draw viewers has increased since then? I think it's gone up, but here's one interesting part about you and that we need to consider. Um, I don't, She's not been promoted poorly. I don't think that's true. Fans love her. When we were in Dallas, man, people were all about her. Her, she got the biggest pop of anybody. Uh, Second biggest was JDS, and, and he got a really nice one, you know. But, man, she got a huge ovation. So she has certainly made inroads in the hardcore fan base. But that Dallas event didn't do all that well. I don't think it did poorly, but I don't think it did it even clear 300,000 buys. I don't think that it did. Um, I don't really know how it did, but I don't, I don't call it doing all that well. So I don't think she's been promoted poorly and the fans naturally gravitate to her. I told you, I still got that technique talk in the system. Um, that'll be out here before too long. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming uh, about her and it's going to be great. You're going to learn a lot about her. I certainly learned a lot about her from talking to this, um, this really good coach, but, I feel like they haven't really pushed her to that next level yet. There's something missing there. And maybe it's the opponents that haven't been quite right for her. Maybe it's the fact that she's gone to decision. Because I did see some people saying, however much of a minority they might be, that they weren't all that impressed by her, or at least they were impressed by her, but they're not all that enamored by her. Bit of a difference there. Um, I I feel like maybe putting her on some Fox shows, although that's never really translated to pay-per-views either, she needs she needs some rivals she needs some big fights like they really got to find a way to make that shevchenko fight at 125 man that would just be absolutely incredible and um she needs rivals like that you know if shevchenko beats amanda nunez having those two meet at 125 i think would be incredible man it'd be amazing that's i think it's really what's missing for her because she's got ever she's got it all fans love her she's got a crazy um approach to fight promotion and it's unique. Um, she's dominant, she's athletic, she can speak English. Like there's a lot to like about that, you know, but I don't know that there's a ton of evidence that she can sell 500,000 pay-per-view buys. In fact, there's no evidence of that, at least as we speak today. But when you look at her and you look at all the ingredients she has, and all those great things I mentioned, she seems to me a prime candidate for somebody who should be able to do that. So how do we bridge that gap? I don't have all the answers. I think one of them, though, might be that we just haven't put her in big enough fights. You know, the Carlos Esparza win was good. The Jessica Penny win was good. Um, the Valor Letourneau fight on that Ronda Rousey card, that's good exposure. But And, of course, the Gedalia fights. I mean, it's not that they've not put her out there, but something is missing there. Something is missing there. Um, she needs to fight somebody really famous, I feel like. And maybe Shevchenko's not really, really famous, but if she wins his title, maybe there's a way to transfer some of that power over she doesn't just need to be in the physical orbit of famous people. Oh, uh, she was on a Ronda Rousey, you know, co-main or something, or she was on, you know, Conor McGregor co with Karolina Kovalkiewicz. It's not enough. Yeah, you know, that's good. That's good. That's something. But she needs to fight somebody famous to really get that bump up. That's what there's really kind of missing here. And, you know, when you establish these new weight classes, this is the risk you run the first person to beat. um Ioana, you know, probably will get more than you want to got from beating uh, Esparza. So, um, so I think that's what I'd like to see. I'd like uh, how you manufacture that. I don't know, but that's what I think is missing for her. She, she, she's a mega talent, man. And a beloved figure by the people who know her, how do we get more people to know her? Okay. Uh, Mayweather McGregor world tour. I have to forewarn that my following question is influenced by me being a massive WWE fan, so feel free to groan already, all right? I have groaned. Although, to my defense, the people Mayweather worked with at the WWE have often spoken about how he got that part of the business, and you could see that during the world tour. True. Okay. After all the talk about how McGregor showed off his trash-talking ability and won the tour, as evidenced by his fight odds increasing, uh, okay... Am I misguided in feeling that Mayweather came off as the final winner here? Not just because of the additional amount of people he got to pay up for the fight, which is true, but ultimately because nothing that McGregor did seemed to affect him. Even the fact that he kept repeating the same insults, often mocked, almost felt more like an exercise in control as he kept doing his own thing no matter how, excuse me, no matter what McGregor threw at him. It was theater, sure, especially at London, but at no point was McGregor able to disturb that performance. And then someone says, "As a side note, the way McGregor—excuse me—the way Mayweather worked the crowd and space during that London press conference was brilliant. The dude seemed to be a scumbag. Oh, he's a scumbag!" But that was truly effective work, especially the way he was constantly forcing McGregor to react to what he was doing. And I don't mean to take anything away from McGregor with that comment. Yeah, let's talk about that. That's a great question. Um, I had Brendan Chobb on my show on. Uh, was it Monday to talk about the uh, world tour from his perspective? And look, what am I doing? I'm gonna get there and debate Brendan about his views. We just don't agree and we're not gonna agree. So I didn't wanna do that, but what I did wanna do was, and I asked him this question pointedly, what did you learn about both men that you did not realize before? And I made a comment before even the Brendan Schaub interview and I was like, boy, these boxing journalists, they don't know who they're dealing with in McGregor. And you saw Polly Malignaggi acknowledge that very point. My point was, um, you know, you may not like his chances, or maybe you do like his chances, but if you think McGregor is just taking this fight for the money, you are sorely, sorely mistaken. You have to say whether or not he's going to win under the presumption that that McGregor has every intention of trying to win and fundamentally believes without a shadow of a doubt that he's going to win. Not only does McGregor think he's going to win, he thinks he's going to win relative to maybe with his previous opponents relatively easily. Whether you accept that McGregor is right is a separate matter, but that is what's going on up there in his head, okay? And you saw Pauli Malignaggi on Ariel's show on Monday acknowledge as much. But the reverse is kind of also true, right? I don't think a lot of MMA fans really appreciated who Mayweather was. Mayweather is going to cross for all of his ethical lapses, and they are many. He is going to cross a billion dollars in earnings after this fight. Folks, that is not... (laughs) And without endorsements, you know, he, I mean, maybe he gets sponsored by like a luxury watch company, but this is, you know, that, that's, he would cross a billion dollars without that, right? No endorsements for all intents and purposes. I'm, I'm sorry, gang, but this just doesn't happen by accident. It just doesn't. And I don't know if we're ever going to see another fighter cross a billion dollars in merely fight purse earnings or fight related, you know, earnings, you know, so, so uh pay-per-view cut, um, live gate cut concession cut, you know, that kind of thing. Um that is a shocking amount of money to earn in that kind of way. Uh he is he is bored. I mean, in that sense, he is currently peerless. Now look, and I made this point on the um and maybe previously, because this is an event where Mayweather's basically going to get two or three to one on what McGregor gets, and he fundamentally believes he's going to win too. Uh, however much McGregor thinks he's going to win, Floyd is the exact same way. Floyd probably thinks I just increased my earnings tremendously and there was just all this talk about was it tawdry was it awful was it you know lowest uh, lowest common denominator was it great was it fun was it spectacle I mean all those things are true but the most truth you can say about the Maymac world tour is that it was it, it made the thing more visible and really visibility when you already have that curiosity is really all you need Um, it can be all the negative things that people said it was. It can be all the positive things people said it was. Is it now more visible? And the answer is yes. And so because the answer is yes, it was an unequivocal success in that sense. But just as I think people like Pauli Malignaggi had a bit of a wake-up call in terms of who they're dealing with in McGregor, I think some MMA fans had a bit of a wake-up call with Mayweather. He, he, He is not... He is many things. He is not, not stupid he might be the best con man in all of boxing um where he knows he's going to get you to pay him an absurd amount of money um for a fight where you know and he knows he's going to fight boring and do as canelo told me the guy is happy to win a round by three punches and all he has to do against mcgregor if it goes 12 rounds all he's got to do provided there's not you know a two point round is just win seven rounds that's it it's all he's got to do he's got to win seven rounds you mean to tell me floyd thinks he doesn't like floyd's unconvinced he can win seven rounds against mcgregor he can win 70 rounds against mcgregor right now maybe mcgregor has that night that sh- shocks the world but you can understand floyd's confidence but to the point you're making about promoting this floyd goes out there and knows well wow, i finally got somebody who's going to get me even more paid than i even hope to get so in that sense You know, people people like, oh my God, he's getting booed, he's getting torn up. Floyd doesn't care about your adulation nor your jeering. He's uninterested in you. You are and me. We are all ants to him. We are ants. And so all of this like ruckus about it, it doesn't matter to him. Now, do I think it can boost McGregor's performance? I actually do think it I think it can. And I think the T-Mobile that night is going to be like that. I think it will boost McGregor a little bit. So there's something to be said for that, but I don't think it's going to hinder. Floyd from whatever Floyd's going to do. Um, this is a guy who went after you interviewed him, after all these like crazy shows, totally calm, totally in control, not not even the slightest bit of being bothered or saying things like he's going to pay for his comments. You know, you saw that after Majorga and uh, De La Hoya. Now, Majorga made it super personal, talking about his wife's breast milk and stuff like that. I mean, Majorga went after him. And, you know, question his Latino credentials. And what did you, what did you hear De La Hoya say? Uh, he's going to pay. He's going to answer for those. You didn't hear Mayweather say that. <laughs> now, you might be like, well, De La Hoya won. Right. But the point being was it clearly bothered De La Hoya. And there was already a skills gap anyway. What did you hear Mayweather say? Hey, man, anybody can win, man. Anybody can win. You know, it's I, I take him seriously. Anybody can win. What did Leonard Ellaby say after every one of those, like, press conferences where everyone thought he got dressed down? Hey, man, Conor McGregor is the truth. You saw what happened to Jeff Horn against uh, uh, Pacquiao. Anybody can win. Anybody can win. You heard it over and over and over and over again. So this is not Jose Aldo. Who has been at this level of the game longer than anybody? And yes, this press tour was unusual, but in terms of this kind of public attention and scrutiny and having to talk to the media like this, who's done this before? Floyd, a dozen times over. And what Brendan Schaub told me on Monday was like, I kind of thought this is him talking. I kind of thought that Mayweather didn't really realize what he was getting himself in for. And then you go and talk to him after these events. And he talked to him the one after in Toronto where he got murdered on the mic. He got torn to pieces on the mic. And he was completely at ease with everything. He was completely at ease with the entire operation. Um, I I don't think MMA fans properly appreciated who they were dealing with Floyd Mayweather, maybe not as much as the boxing crew because the boxing crew was like, Ah, this McGregor guy's a joke, he's just there for the money. No, 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 you are sorely mistaken about that. I don't think MMA fans were as bad as that, but I do think they thought, Well, McGregor can tear up everybody in the UFC, he's definitely gonna be better on the mic than Floyd, he's gonna tear Floyd to pieces, and this will have a psychological impact on him that reveals itself on Fight Night. And maybe it does, we won't even know until Fight Night. That's gonna be the real arbiter but every conceivable signal that was sent afterwards from him and his team is total serenity, complete serenity. There is not a scintilla of evidence that it did anything to him to shake confidence, to make him question what's going to happen, to none of that. It had no impact in that regard. So I think ultimately Connor feels boosted by the tour, and I think you can say that. Like whatever confidence he had before the tour, he's got even more now. I think there's a credible argument to be made there, and you see that in his fans putting down so much money to the point where he's got a better odds odds to beat Floyd than like Pacquiao and Canelo and Maidana. You know, um, that I think that's the argument to make. The argument to make is not that Floyd got rattled. There's, I mean, again, we won't know until fight night. And so maybe there's a Christmas surprise out there in August. But from what we can read, you know, you even saw, like De La Hoya, you saw Aldo saying the same thing. He's going to pay. He's going to pay. He's going to pay. And what's what's Floyd saying? Oh, man, I'm just so glad you guys are here. You know, uh, anybody can win. Um, you know, I respect him. Um, you know, it, it's a fight. I, I I can't really say what's going to happen. All I can say is, you know, I'm going to go out there and, I, and I'm going to do my best and uh, yeah, I'm just glad to be here. Like, what? This guy just told you he couldn't read in front of millions of people, and this is what you had to say. Doesn't care. Your adulation, your booze—they mean they are—they are like the buzzing of flies to him. He has—he had told you guys he chose fortune over fame, and and that's the that's the result. He he is never going to be the good guy. I think he knows he's going to be the good guy. Boxing fans don't even want to show up to cheer him on you know everyone's like oh it was all Ma- uh, mcgregor fans no doubt about it i mean well not all okay 98% mcgregor fans or 2% the money team in the audience but he doesn't really have this mcgregor is a man of the people right that's who he is he's a man of the people who is mayweather he's a man of his own he's a man of his own money and he chose that and he's just not He's not that guy. They don't show up to cheer him on. And he I think he's completely comfortable with that. And you say, well, look, that's kind of sociopathic. It might be. That's who he is. That is fundamentally who that guy is. Um, so you I keep telling folks, you guys go out there, oh, who are you? Who are you? In London. It feels good to say that to him. All he hears is dollar signs, dollar signs, dollar signs. You know, it's a completely different world. All right. All right. One says, I agree. Connor got more rattled than Floyd. I don't think Connor got rattled. I think Connor got boosted. I think that's a misreading as well. It wasn't even close, just close up on Connor's eyes as Voltron formed around him. M. Effort was terrified, if only for a second. No, I was surprised, maybe. Terrified, no. Don't make the mistake of thinking Connor is overwhelmed here, but don't make the mistake of thinking Floyd is in any way bothered by this. Don't, don't make that mistake. I'm telling you, Floyd Mayweather is the most sophisticated, experienced, absolutely risk averse for himself con man that is in boxing. Do not fall into the Floyd Mayweather con and thinking that, oh man, well, you know, <laughs> just don't do it, man. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I have, this is all over after 12 rounds and he just dances around Connor and Connor gets tired and he just jabs him to death. And at the end you say, Floyd didn't fight him. Well, what, what was that? Connor came there to fight. He was swinging for the fences and this guy danced around, landed a couple jabs. All right. I mean, whatever, put a mark on him. He didn't do anything. Right, right. All Floyd thinks up here is I want to win every round, of course, but All I've got to do is win seven rounds against a guy with no pro boxing experience. That's all he's thinking. Seven rounds. That's all he's got to do. And he gets probably $300 million or more. Would you take those odds if you were Floyd? All right. Uh, Good question here. Uh Uh-oh. Check, check, check. Someone says the live chat's not working. Live chat's working just fine. I don't know. All right. Uh, Connor and the Ali Act. Good question. With a complete... With the completion of his bout with Mayweather, will Connor be under protection of the Ali Act? And if so, how can that impact how he manages his combat sports career? Well, as long as he has a boxing license, I suppose that he is. But the interesting part about it is, it's what I think happened was, remember that there's a clause in every UFC contract that says your sole combat sports promoter. Not merely MMA, but boxing, kickboxing, jiu-jitsu, whatever, wrestling, professional wrestling. We're your sole promoter. Now, we can waive that clause for you if we so choose, but we have to waive it first. What I think they did was they just waived it. But there's still this unresolved question about to what extent the Ali Act would have an impact on a UFC fighter who happens to have a boxing license. Now, I think they may have struck a deal where Connor's not going to pursue the courts to get that question answered, but it remains unanswered. So technically, yes, he would have those protections, but it's not clear what that means because we haven't had a question answered about whether or not this provision in the UFC contract is superseded by the Ali act. So unless you're using the Ali act to challenge that UFC contract, it's not exactly clear, you know, uh, what benefit it would provide. I mean, there might be some financial disclosure information that the Ali act would require the UFC to give him, but, um, but that's, you know, it's fairly minimal stuff. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see to what extent either Connor or Nate Diaz or somebody else tries to get that. that. That's still the lingering question, which we don't have an answer for. To what extent does the Ali Act undercut essentially the core promotional constraint in UFC contracts? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Gechi versus Alvarez. Do you think this is a bad matchup for Alvarez? Who do you favor? I do favor Gechi. It's amazing for all the money, excuse me, for all the damage that Gechi has taken. Um, Alvarez, I think has taken more. Uh, now he's a little bit further into his career, so there's partly that issue. But I just think that like Alvarez can sleep anybody. He's got big power, but Gechi is so overwhelming. And puts together and it just it just has no problems striking with you in the pocket that, you know, it is a killer be killed style, but it's not quite as killer be killed yet because he keeps killing everybody. I mean, if this was a 50-50 style, you would see him lose 50% of his fights. It's not what happens. So um, it's not a true 50-50 style, it just feels that way because it's so by comparison, so reckless. So I feel like Alvarez, one of the big takeaways in the Poirier fight was not that he was done. I didn't get that sense at all, but I did get the sense that maybe some of those wars had finally caught up to him a little bit. He is not the same age that he once was. And, um, you know, there's something to be said. How old is Eddie Alvarez? Just to clarify. Eddie is 33. Now, that's not ancient by any stretch of the imagination, but he's been fighting for a very long time. Okay, if Weidman loses to Gastelum, let's say by late stoppage, but not a brutal one or decision. Okay some kind of ground of where he's covering up or something let's say and he came to you for an opinion which he won't on his next move do you a tell him to call it a day no B tell him to go to five and 205 and try it up there potentially C tell him to make contact with Scott Coker anticipating his potential release side note do you think he could get cut with another loss no I don't think he could D advise him to start at the bottom of the middleweight division choosing a sub 25 ranked guy and maybe think about a change in camp or eat another. Please explain. I am so torn on this. I really like Wyvern and do not want to see him suffer another loss, but I like the hype behind Gastelum. I guess we'll see. First of all, let's not count him out. I mean, I'm obviously very nervous about it. My thought on this was it was just a bad strategic call. Why take that kind of risk when you don't have to, but I am, I cannot predict the future. I do not know what's going to happen on Saturday. Maybe Wyman goes out there and beat the beats the brakes off of him, right? I mean, that is certainly possible, in which case you took the risk, but while the risk was near or while the risk was significant, you came out on the other end of it. Okay. So that is a possibility. But I, I am very, very I just don't think it's a risk he needed to take. You know, how many guys get a headline spot after three losses in a row? Not many. Not many. And I think he's the A side in this one too, right? Isn't he the A side? Let's see. It's Chris Weidman. Doesn't matter as much in in uh, MMA, but or at least in UFC. But Let's see, twenty five. Yeah, it's Weidman versus Gastelum, so he's the A side. That's funny. Um, I would advise him on one of two options. Number one, start you know at the bottom and work your way back up again but probably not that. What I would recommend is going to light heavyweight. Why? I think those weight cuts have probably affected him more than he realizes. Uh, Wyman is a big, strong guy, and I think that uh, he would be competitive even if that weight class was a lot more stacked than it is, and that's precisely my point. I don't think it's that stacked. What's a great thing you can do? Not cut weight. Not that weight cutting is ultimately his major like stumbling block, but not cut weight. Go up to a division that is probably as weak as it's ever been, and get a win over a ranks guy there. That to me seems like a very, very good option because if you go and beat, let's look at the light heavyweight ranking, shall we? Look at these rankings today. I mean, you've lost. I mean, that, that division's been drained. Here's your light heavyweight top 10. Your champion is Daniel Cormier, number one, John Jones, two, Gustafson, three, Manawa. I could see Whiteman being competitive against Manawa, four, Glover Teixeira, five, Ozdemir. Six Shogun, seven Corey Anderson, uh, tied for seventh. Owen Saint Owen Saint Preux, nine Sirkinov, ten Latifi. I mean, right away he'd be competitive up there. Presumably, right away. Now you might say, "Well, Luke, if he loses to a guy who was winning at welterweight, could he really win at light heavyweight?" I do think he could. I do think he could. I think the right kind of matchup, um, and you're not having to cut weight, and you know, focus on a camp where he can be put on some size and really let his strength, and and he's a big kid, you know, letting, oh, not kid, but a big guy, letting that come to, to bear, that could be really good for him. Um, that's what I would recommend. Uh, maybe not even top 10, maybe somebody like, I don't know, is going to fight Cummings, but Little Nog, Elir, so, somebody along those lines, that might be a really, really good fight for him. Now, some ones I would avoid, I would avoid Surkinov. I would avoid, obviously he's not going to fight Corey Anderson, um, but there's some good fights for him up there. He can do some stuff up there. Um, or, you know, go outside the top 10 of middleweight and just start beating some suckers and and see how that goes. But, you know, just keep them trying to fight the best and say, oh, I lost this hand, double down the next one. Oh, I lost this hand, double down the next one. Oh, I lost this hand, double down the next one. Oh, I you know, I lost that one. Or here's a cash advance and doubling down. I mean, that, that just doesn't you, – you, you, not saying you can't win, but – that is not a good circumstance under which to be trying to get back on the winning track. we have to get into this? I really don't want to. I do one here first. What's next for Calderwood? Uh, hey, Luke, as a fan of Joanne Calderwood since the Invicta days, to say her UFC career has underwhelmed is an understatement. She was once in the discussion for being potentially the best 115-pounder in the world during her tough reign, you know? Now she's down two in a row and missed weight in her last outing. Her activity is also below desirable. The one positive for her to take away from her last few outings is that she looked good at 125, which is now a bona fide division. Agreed. I think she might have some rejuvenation going back up there. How alarming is her recent skid, and does the UFC give her another shot during her releasing Well, look, there's something to be said for the fact that she used to be something of a physical bruiser, pushing women up against the fence and drilling them there. I think some of that's gone away. I don't know why. I know she's had a lot of troubles outside the cage with her camp and her personal life and her finances, all of which have probably contributed to it. I think the big takeaway from the Calvijo fight, and by the way, it is Calvijo I know some of you were like, that's not how you pronounce it. Yes, it is. The double L can be a Y in Spanish. It can also be a J, an English J. It can also be an English sh. So it depends on where you go in Spanish-speaking Latin America. Um, in Mexico, where she is from, it is Calvillo. But if you go to a lot of other countries, including some Caribbean islands, as well as where I'm learning Spanish, Colombia, the double L is a Y is a J. It's Calvillo, it's Medellin. Uh, and if you go to Argentina, it is. it gets even crazier. They say sh. They would say Calvillo, Medellin, right? So, just to be clear about that, Calvijo is a totally correct pronunciation in any event. Um, I think she's very, 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 very good. I even said I thought she was a little bit like Ronda Rousey in the sense of nothing about the rest of her, but on the game, this kind of speed grappling where she can force transitions and constantly be on top. And she's got a lot of answers, and she always has this really tactically smart sense to go for something high percentage. In that sense, she kind of reminded me of Ronda Rousey. On the feet, you know, it was competitive with Calderwood. I agree. She kind of underperformed a little bit. But um, I think in losing to Col- in, in in this last case, losing to Calvigio, I don't think that that is the last... I don't think that's that bad of a loss. Number one it was, I mean, the thirty twenty-seven. I just didn't agree with twenty-nine twenty-eight. Is kind of how I had it, but um, it was competitive. And I think you're going to see that Calvigio is going to go very, very far in the division. So for me, it's I won't say it's exactly like the Wyman scenario, but it might be another one of these scenarios where if you put someone at a healthier weight class um, and you know give them maybe a couple of tune-up fights along the way once she gets up there, you might see her return to form, but I agree. You know, I think it's been a combination of, um, personal struggles outside of the cage. Um, I think the rest of the division caught up really quickly, you know, in a way that I think kind of surprised her. I mean, look at how good someone like Felice Herrick has gotten relative to how she was just a couple of years ago. I mean, dramatic improvements. And it feels like her improvement has really plateaued and stalled. Still very, very good. Still capable of growth, I think, but a little bit stalled. Uh, Mainstream media's coverage of anti-gay racial rhetoric. This is what y'all are asking. I didn't read this quote. I mean, y'all wrote it, not me. How come the mainstream media makes a big deal about a few mental slips from a jet-lagged McGregor and Mayweather, but don't seem to give an S about four former UFC champions? (laughs) This is a good question, actually. Chris Wybin, Frankie Edgar, Frank Mir, and Fabricio Verdun, plus one title challenger, uh, Habib versus Tony, until he got hungry hanging with the leader of Chechnya who calls for the torture, murder, and deportation of all gay people in his country. Floyd Mayweather himself has also been his, <clears throat> been his guest with little to no mention from the media. This is actually a good question. Um, fairly simple response. I cannot speak for how... So, for example, we talked about Dana White on the L coming to me uh, in Brooklyn, yeah? Uh, all the people before me We're asking about, hey, what about the boy comment? Hey, what about race? Hey, what about this? Hey, what about that? Then he gets to me, and I realize I don't get a lot of audiences with Dana White, so I just made it about MMA. But the point being was, I don't know why Inside Edition and TMZ and the Chicago Tribune and New York Times and Sports Illustrated, I cannot speak for their editorial newsrooms, but that's what they thought their audiences wanted, and that's what they thought were the best questions to ask. And clearly, you can tell... McGregor Mayweather, is a the press tour, was a giant event happening not merely in the UK, but of course all over North American soil, Canada as well as the US. It's a big deal. Any kind of comment there, even if it is not a big deal, is going to be magnified to the nth degree. That's the whole point of the tour, y'all. The whole point of the tour was to magnify itself to the nth degree. So if you make a comment that some people go like this at, it's going to get magnified to the nth degree. I think complaining that... Why are people focusing on our comments? Because you're at, you're making a press tour, where you're asking us to pay close attention to your comments. Um, now, ultimately, whether you use that to go on some kind of tirade about it is up to those media outlets. Um, but it's not it's not hard to understand why that got a lot of attention. But to your point, to your point, why is something like like that, which is morally insignificant relative to? we have these close alliances in MMA to this terrible guy, um, I think that will begin to change. I think HBO has done a real service. Uh, shouts to uh, Kareem Zidane, who's going to be on my show later, or Kareem, I can never probably pronounce it. Kareem Zidane, who's going to be on my show later today. Um, these guys have really raised awareness about a really uh, vile thing that has happened in the sport that needs to change. It's just, what do you expect to get more attention stateside? The clown show, or whatever that was, or somebody in Chechnya who most folks have never heard of—it's just never going to get the same kind of attention. Even if morally, you're absolutely right. This is clearly a much bigger concern than ultimately what this is. Um, but there might be some equaling of that out. This is finally going to go away. We're going to put a bow on Mayweather-McGregor, and the Katarov issue, a kadirov issue, excuse me, is is going to get more play um, and some more attention that I think it deserves. So there has been an imbalance. I cannot speak for the newsrooms of all those other outlets. I don't know. You have to ask them. Um, but I just don't be surprised when guys go and say, pay attention to us, pay attention to us, pay attention to us. And you say things that are a little bit to those audiences, get you sideways, and then wonder why there's discussion about it. You you begged people to show up to hear you talk. There's going to be an examination of what you said, um, even if the Katarov, the Kadyrov issue, um, merits a significantly greater amount of examination. But, you know, look, I mean, what do you all want to see? You Go look at all of my YouTube channel. Go look at all of my Mayweather McGregor videos. And then go look at my David Scott interview I put up yesterday. Then the David Scott interview has got like 3,000 views. My Brendan Schaub interview has got 30,000. You know what I mean? Like, it's one thing to say, why is the media doing this? Well, why is the audience showing such clear preference for content? There's not a ton of people aren't covering Kadirov because there's a tremendous amount of audience demand for it. There's not, there's not, there's a, there's a giant amount of demand for Mayweather-McGregor fr- frivolity. Forget even the fight itself; just the stuff they said that was, you know, wild and whatever. Um, it's it's a it's a give and take there. Uh, the media has a responsibility to do better, and they will, and they should, but. Um, you know, the audience has some questions it has to ask itself as well right it's not it's we, we can't make you like things you don't want to see i can write about certain things that you just will never care about and that's that's okay That's just how life works but it's, it's people think that like the audience will care what the media makes them care about that's true to an extent when there's an overwhelming obsession with something or um some kind of even coordinated effort but if the mma media never touched me with a mcgregor would people still care Yes, yes, of course they would. They would care deeply because these are two figures that people notice and in the case of McGregor, care a lot about, in the case of Mayweather, know a lot about. Um, it doesn't. It shouldn't surprise you that there is uh, this organic interest in uh, one versus the other. All right, it is 2.15, so that means it is time to go to the Twitter machine. Uh, you can give me a tweet at LThomasNews. And I will you can use the hashtag chat rappers and I will uh, I will answer it right now. Thank you to some of my Spanish speaking friends who are taking my back here after I was wrongly criticized for my pronunciation. All right, any news on Matt Hughes? I was thinking about that just yesterday. I have not heard that. i will I will go through and I'll make a note about this to see if I can find anything else. Have you followed the Nats this season? Nope, nope, and I'm not gonna. I'm going to bandwagon (laughs) on the postseason, and then when they flame out in the first or second round, I'll say, yeah, I told you so. Can we see Barbas? He is downstairs. Uh, S talking isn't going to make Mayweather irate, but might make him want to make an example of McGregor equals create an opening. I don't believe that, but we won't know until fight night. I just feel like at 40 years old for a guy who has seen and done it all. I mean, McGreg- McGregor is a bit of a different beast, but he's not so radically different that he will force, I don't think, Mayweather's hand. But we won't know until fight night. Let's see on fight night if that's true. Does the Mayweather fight count as a fight on Connor's UFC contract? Um, it's not a UFC fight, but the promotion is profiting, right? But they're not called his promoter or his manager in this one. So I don't think so, but I will double check. My answer to that is probably no, because if they're not acting as his promoter, it can't count on his promotional contract. And they are explicitly not his promoter and not his manager here. And the work of Eric McGracken uh, at combatsportslaw.com elucidated this a little bit more clearly. So if they're not his promoter, uh, I don't see how they can go on his promotional contract. What movies are you most looking forward to this year? What are the most you've watched so far? What are the worst you've watched so far? God, I've watched some bad ones recently. I'm looking forward to Dunkirk. I'm looking forward to Dunkirk a lot. Um, I saw Colossal yesterday. If you guys have seen Colossal with, uh, what's her face with a big mouth, Anne Hathaway. Uh, That's a great movie. Uh, You'll really enjoy that. Boy, I've seen a lot of bad movies. Um, Ghost in the Shell, Basura. Life, Basura. Um, God, what were some other ones I saw that were so bad? Let me pull this up here. <laughs> I'm telling you, I've seen some. Woo. Um, I saw Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman was good, definitely the best DC Comics movie, but not great. Oh uh, yeah, Ghost in the Shell, terrible. King Kong Skull Island, whatever. Um, let's see. What else have I seen? Lost city of Z was okay. Um, let me look at my, here we go. Uh, the promise terrible life, terrible. salesman is a fantastic movie it's an iranian movie it's all in farsi um i cannot recommend that more highly that is maybe the best movie i've seen in a long time you can get it on youtube for like four dollars go check out the salesman you have to be willing to read subtitles but the salesman is absolutely incredible let me just go through maybe one or two more of these event horizon garbage uh moana for kids I've seen some bad movies, y'all. Jesus Christ. Uh, And Hidden Figures was pretty good. I enjoyed Hidden Figures. I thought that was a a decent movie. Have you heard anything about the UFC's fourth quarter as far as uh, matchups and fight cards? A little bit. I know Nate Diaz wants... um, I mean, this is obvious, but I know that, that his people want the McGregor fight after... Mayweather McGregor, I know that uh, you are obviously going to get Alvarez and Gaethje, um, but you know beyond that, I don't think a lot of it has come into focus yet. Should we be concerned? I went over this already. Should we be concerned with the content or the context of Connor's boy comment? I think I said enough about that last week. What are the worst? Oh, wait a minute. Uh, Weidman or Gastelum? I'm going to say Gastelum. I don't think Maymac being able to separate press from fight shows that they were unfazed by S-talking, all right? You catch that nasty loop choke from a few days ago. Yeah, I, I put it in the Monday Morning Analyst, Alexandre Vieira. A loop choke is if I take this hand, I go to this lapel, right? So left hand to your left lapel. And that's say like I laid my elbow flat. Now I press your head over this and under that, on top of that, I'm going to take my hand and I'm going to pull it up like this, right? It's called a loop choke. And of course, there's a lot of different entries for it. And it's one of those, it's a gi choke in the sense that like you have to use the lapel to do it, but it's kind of over the arm. So I guess you could do it no gi if there was some kind of way to hold, but um, it's typically a gi choke. I mean, it's it's, that's, I don't know what any other way is a gi choke. And this dude hit it so bad, ended up turning it into almost like a bow and arrow choke from a fireman's carry where it's like over the shoulders and then just dumped the lifeless body. Of his opponent on the mat it is the most savage loop choke i've ever a loop choke is hard to hit on on anybody like people don't really fall for loop chokes all that often if you have a good loop choke that's a rare thing and uh to get one like that is (laughs) unbelievable uh true or false this is Kirk cousins last season in in a redskins uniform i'm gonna say true Thoughts on McCormick Company buying French's mustard for $4.2 billion. <laughs> No, I guess I don't have much of a comment on that. Uh, how would you evaluate the striking potential of Amanda Lemos, who recently fought Leslie Smith? Uh, I would rate it as high. I would rate it, though, as inefficient, and her uh, gassing at the end there is evidence of that. Uh, any comments on Ariel and Showtime UFC? Someone put hashtag petty. Yes, I would agree. I was on uh, AJ Hawk's podcast and I went into it in great detail there. So feel free to have a listen over there. What is an Egypt? I believe that's like an English, uh, Irish, and maybe even the Scottish word for like idiot. Let me let me double check that. Yeah, yeah, it's an idiot. Egypt. Who wins, Kevin Lee or Conor McGregor? Probably Conor, but Kevin Lee obviously can wrestle his ass off, so never count him out. You said Floyd wasn't phased by the antics, but Jose was the same when Conor jumped the cage and got in his face. All right, look, if y'all want to believe it, so you're welcome to it. Uh, Morata to Chelsea and Danilo to Man City. Thoughts? Morata, I love Morata, but he ain't worth 80 million pounds. It's just or euro, excuse me. He ain't worth eighty million. I mean, I love. I think Morata is like is going to be a big star for a long time wherever he plays, but he's not worth not eighty eighty or eighty million euro. Danilo to Man City, whatever, it's fine. I mean, I don't think they really need Danilo. So, do you expect Connor to keep his stance and range basically the same as an MMA, or will he look more like a boxer? I think he's going to mix them up. I think he's going to try and be as confusing as possible early because Floyd needs to, F- Floyd needs you to get into a, a relatively consistent pattern to make reads. Now, over time, whatever Connor's doing, Floyd will read that, assuming he doesn't get KO'd. So inevitably, Floyd will make a read. The question is how far can you delay it? How much can you stunt Floyd? Floyd's what Again, what is Floyd best at? Floyd is the best at watching you, figuring out all your patterns, all your timing, all of your angles, all of your – Ways in which you're trying to score and stay out of his way, and adjust everything around that. That's what that's what that is. What he is best at. So, to the extent you can confuse his ability to make reads, then you do some. You have you have a fighting chance. <laughs> I followed boxing growing up, but my question is: Is Conor allowed to throw a Superman punch in a boxing match? Um, there is some debate about this. I think the answer is yes in Nevada, but in some places you're not allowed to leave both of your feet. Um, But if you can leave them in both of your feet in Nevada, the answer is yes. But if you do that against a good boxer, I mean, unless you surprise them, I mean, there's a reason why boxers don't throw it, y'all. There's a reason. So, um, favorite quote line from either fighter on the May Mac tour All the best stuff came from Toronto. So let's say, why do you have a school bag you can't even read? Got to be my number one. And then for uh, Floyd, it was um, no matter what, no matter what, the fans can't fight for you, you know. And you may say, well, one's better than the other. Okay, fine, but they're both good. Thoughts on the eye pokes and the gunny fight? Yep, I didn't give it enough attention at first, man. I feel bad. I hope he gets a chance to get a do over or something because that was really unfortunate. He got he got raked up there, and um, it's just not fair. It's not fair. Uh How many props have you given to Tony Ferguson's deadlift training? Yeah, he blocked me on Instagram. I don't know what For I, mean, I, didn't, I wasn't even following him. I don't think. Um, I mean, look, everyone wants to see what see what Tony Ferguson is doing, and then like make fun of him. I don't want to do that because, like, it's just not funny, man. Trying to do a 315 pound deadlift with a trap bar on a Bosu ball, something bad's gonna happen, man. Like you, the, the whole point of the deadlift. There's a lot of reasons why you deadlift, but one of them is force production, right? And you're not going to get force production when you're wobbling like this on a Bosu wall It defeats the entire point of doing a deadlift. Uh, I know people want to like. There's this desire to, and this is not in any way limited. I mean, for example, there's an article in um, there's an article in the New York Times about people working out to the point where the doctors are shocked at the number of diagnoses of rhabdomyolysis, where essentially overtraining. And uh, which can be a deadly condition. And there's all these needs of people to like, I'm not just going to do deadlifts. I'm going to do deadlifts on a BOSU ball or in my hometown here in Washington, D.C. This is a town famous for people running because there's so many natural parks here and and, and places to, to, to run on grass. And um, so you see runners everywhere. But I don't know. Are you, Do you guys see this in your hometown? Here, I see it everywhere, everywhere. I remember there's a lot of military who live here, too. And I don't actually see them doing it. I see the civilians doing it. Running with backpacks on. Now, when I say backpack, I don't mean camelback. Where you that I have a camelback as well, where you can wear hiking and there's a water bladder as a backpack and you can just sip a straw. I don't mean I'm not talking about a camelback. That'd be fine. You know, carrying 64 ounces of water on your back with a straw there to, to rehydrate is nothing. You can put your keys in there, no big deal. That's that's completely acceptable, no problem. But I'm talking about full on LL bean stacked like they're just came from a college bookstore at the beginning of a semester backpacks and people running with them. What are you clowns doing? You work behind a desk mother effer. You're not training for seal team six. And on top of it, if you want to get more out of your run, run faster, run further. You can, you can do things to make a workout more uh, worth your while. You can time it. You can see what's your time over distance, how far you're going, to what extent there's incline, to what extent you are measuring your heart rate. There's all kinds of ways to really push yourselves in meaningful, um, scientific, helpful ways to improve performance. But you morons <laughs> slapping you know, a North Face backpack on your back with God knows what in it to the point where it's full – And then running you are killing your hips you are killing your lower back you are killing your knees you are not a member of the special forces you are never going to be a member of the special forces you drive a minivan and you work behind a desk just exercise like a normal person people please please now tony is not a normal person tony is an elite athlete and i think he's really trying to find that next level stuff he's got a very creative mind and he's trying to do stuff to really get that next level but man there's there's dangerous and there's not dangerous and trap bar deadlifting, and his deadlift form is better. It's like radically better. When he was doing normal deadlifts, they were basically okay. Um, but doing that on a Bosu ball, man, like y'all want to make fun of him, you can make fun of him. I'm not making fun of him because it's dangerous, man. It's super, super dangerous to be doing something like that. I mean, you are asking for trouble. The whole point of a deadlift is to get force production from a flat surface with bar path over the center of your uh, the the middle of your foot. That's what that, that is the entire objective. Um, because you need your whole body stabilized, you need your core tightened and you need your lats engaged and your forearms gripped. You need all of that engaged to get maximum force production upwards. So if you're destabilizing everything, you're doing the exact opposite of what you need to get maximum force production. Um, I don't recommend it. All right. With that out of the way, uh, email me, luke at gmail.com. I really appreciate it. You can follow me. Um, let's see, facebook.com slash luke uh, thomas news. How about that? I'll just plug that. Give the video a thumbs up. Subscribe to MMA Fighting below. Uh, I believe Ariel and crew are going to be in Long Island for uh, media day and stuff like that. So we're going to have a ton of coverage from Long Island. Don't miss that. There is no MMA beat this week because no one is available, unfortunately, except me and, and Danny. That's it. I was the only two that are available, but uh, we can't make that work. So. I guess we'll have one on the road next week. Uh, Until then, thank you so much for watching. Stay frosty. Yay.